0: hello everyone welcome into another episode of the mls bench podcast i am joey joining me as always are andres and matt uh to delve into what has been a wild week in mls all the news drop has kind of come in the last 48 hours as the league released its playoff format after uh, a long long wait uh They got in just before the season started, which I feel like should be, you know, the bare, bare minimum. Um, Matt had alluded to it in earlier episodes. We weren't sure. Seven teams, nine teams. There have been some rumors about it. And now we finally have it. Just to quickly touch on the changes, the top nine teams will make it to something resembling the Audi MLS Cup playoffs. The first game will be a show off between the eight and nine team in each conference as a wild card format. That's what the league is calling it. And then the first round of the playoffs, when that wild card uh, team goes through, will be a best of three series. Uh, And that will be, you know, anywhere between 16 and 24 games in total, because if you win the first two games, you're through the real change, you know, best of three is whatever, but that there aren't any draws at the end of 90 minutes. It'll go straight to PKs from the spot to determine the winner of each individual game. Some changes. I don't think a lot of people are happy about these changes. Andres, I'll start with you. How are you doing on this Wednesday? And, I mean, I guess what do you think of these radical changes that the league has implemented for the uh, 2023 playoffs? So, yeah, what's
1: up, guys? I'm doing doing well. Getting excited. Here we are. uh, Three days out from from the start of the season and yeah finally I think it's it's safe to say it's a little late uh for them to finally release the the playoff format but uh better this week than than next week when the season already starts um I think I'm going to be in the minority here and I think I'm in the minority among the fan base in in general uh but I really like the new format um and you guys know I've been critical of other aspects of the league, uh, especially recently with the media deal and so on. So I don't, I don't find myself to be a, a you know, league cheerleader necessarily. But in this case, um, I think there's a lot of uh, real positives with this format. Um, one of the things that really worries me with playoff formats as leagues expand is that it dilutes the regular season. I think we all like seeing teams. Uh, be rewarded for excellence over a long period of time um, And I think when at first glance if you think about nine teams getting in uh, It doesn't seem like that's the case here. It seems like you are diluting their regular season But then I, I kind of step back and I think all right Only seven teams are actually going to qualify directly, right? Oh, those seven are guaranteed at least one home game right in their best of three series that's that's one. Uh, it keeps the bottom end alive, let's say. So the teams that uh, that are in the 8, 9, 10, 11 range at the end of the season still have something to play for, uh, but they don't get the, the carrot of qualifying directly. Uh, two, I'm in general not a fan of home-and-home home aggregate score ties um, or, or th- that type of format. Uh, I think it produces... Too many uh, ties, as they would say in in, in England, where the first half really kind of solves it. If a team goes up four or five uh, goals in the first first game, the second doesn't really mean anything. Or uh, the opposite is that you get 90 minutes of a first leg where nothing really happens and everybody's kind of bunkering to not give up away goals or whatever. And then you have to wait until the second 90s for it to happen. Since here you have to have a winner... Uh, in the best of three, I think it's totally changing the uh, the format or the way that teams have to approach Because you have to win that game You can't just settle for a draw and bunker out a 0-0 Or you take your chances in penalties And then at the end, you still get that single game last eight uh, Where every, every team that was a higher seed gets the home game So in your best of three, you get two home games And then you get the, the home game all the way through So... Yeah, For me, it's. I think it's a positive step. Um, I enjoy it. I don't like home and homes. Uh, and I think that it keeps more teams engaged and it keeps fan bases with the hope of having a home playoff game. So that's kind of where I stand on it. Uh, but I recognize that I'm probably in the minority here.
0: Yeah, I mean, you might be in the minority, certainly the minority of the fans that I've seen, though I do agree that some of those basic changes keep in the bottom, you know, into it, like, you know the con- conceptually i do you know support those things i don't know, nine seems a bit much uh the best of three seems a bit unnecessary um you could just do a home and home as they do in the champions league i'm not saying we have to be the champions league or anything but i i get w- i get where you're coming from matt how are you doing uh on this fine day and what do you think about these new changes yeah good to be back guys happy to be talking to y'all uh I'm I'm
2: I'm I'm pretty mixed on the attempt to go ahead and change playoffs again. Um, my my do I like the format of all right? We have a playoff or a, a play-in game between two teams, and then you know best of three series, and then one-offs after that. Sure, that sounds good. Uh, do I think that yeah? Would last year's playoffs have been significantly improved by the inclusion of Columbus and Charlotte or Portland and Vancouver? I, I'm not convinced. And that's definitely something that I'm a little bit concerned about. Um, yeah, I, I think Andres is just exactly right that it really diminishes the the regular season. Uh, I understand the, the desire behind it. They're increasing that inventory for this Apple deal so that they can... You know, say that they're selling a lot of games, but I'm just really concerned that we're going to be packing so many games into a short amount of time. I I need to see or I need to do a little bit more reading with respect to how long the playoffs are going to last, but that's just an insane amount of soccer to, to be played over a month, two months, especially considering we also have a break for Leagues Cup. We have a long season as is. There's just a lot of teams. So my, you know, it's kind of splitting the baby, but like maybe we try to go down a couple teams or something like that. It just seems a bit much to me right now. I'm I'm interested to see exactly what the uh, format of, of the, you know, no draws in the playoffs is going to look like. I think that that's going to make for some very exciting soccer. It's just going to be a lot. So it's it's definitely a mixed bag in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, I get that for sure. Yeah, The end date, the absolute end date of the MLS season, MLS Cup, is on December 9th. That's all we know. Because when you have all these different games, all these matches have a, a range of time, right? The round one best of three in the league's press release says anywhere from October 28th to November 12th. Like, that is... That is truly just based on how quickly do these, you know, series get done or, you know, how long do they last in terms of the, you know, playing all three games, all that good stuff. Also joining us today on the pod uh, to share his thoughts on these new on this new playoff structure is Tim Sullivan, our old friend from the Club and Country podcast, Nashville SC uh, reporter, beat writer. Uh, He does it all. President of the North American Soccer Reporters, Tim Sullivan. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well. Hopefully you guys can finally hear me after some technical (laughs) difficulties. Yeah, that sounds way better. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad
3: to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I guess just jumping into it. What do you think about these new playoff structure? Obviously, your team, Nashville SC moving back to the east. How does this benefit Nashville specifically and then expanding outward? What are your thoughts uh, as it pertains to the whole league?
3: Yeah, I think the the number one selling point for teams that aren't like the best 2 or 3 in either conference is that everybody who who makes the playoffs proper is going to get at least one home game and I think that that is probably what the league wanted to prioritize. They want to keep fan bases engaged for, you know, an extra week and they want to give teams the chance to host their fans for one last time as long as they make the playoffs. So I do like that. I you know, obviously I think like most people I have, I have Nashville, you know, maybe, you know, in the playoffs, but not one of the best teams probably to make them, make them from the Eastern conference. So it's a situation where last year um, they played a one-off game in, in Los Angeles, lost to the galaxy. And that was the end of the season. This season, they would, they would have the opportunity to play another game. They would have the opportunity to, you know, maybe uh, have a home game that allows them to tie up a series and, and hopefully take the victory in the third game. So that is exciting. Um, the weird thing to me is is the fact that the least important round of the playoffs, uh, depending on how you want to view the play-in round, I guess, is the one that seems to have the format that's most tailored towards like soccer justice. You know, the more games you play, the more likely you are to have a, a deserving winner. And after that first round is is best of three, it's back to to knockouts. And that's kind of odd to me. Again, I understand that they want to give more teams the opportunity to host a playoff game, but I think that that is the weirdest part of it to me. Yeah, I, I think I was
2: listening to the Allocation Disorder guys talk about just some back or you know napkin math on it, and the ticket sales for, for a match for the playoffs could be pretty significant, so there's, there's obviously such a good incentive on that. Uh, it's just going to be so much soccer in such a short amount of time, so it's definitely going to be something to consider.
3: I also and, and just sorry. Go ahead.
2: ahead.
3: I was gonna say, along with that, it's it seen has seemed like over the years one of their priorities is they want to minimize the amount of of off season for teams that don't make the playoffs, and this is a way to to basically arbitrarily expand the the calendar time of the of the playoffs. That that means a lot of teams are waiting to to restart the season even longer. That that part is weird to me too. And, and you know, for the teams that do make the playoffs, like you mentioned you're cramming a ton of soccer into that time because they don't want to extend the length of the off season. So it is, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to pay two two masters that have opposite, opposite desires out of it too. Absolutely.
2: My other like main concern out of just all of this congestion is that that's going to be a lot of miles and minutes on guys' legs. And I'm, I'm waiting to kind of get a better understanding of what the players association is, is, thinking about all these changes and how they're going to come to grips with that but I think before too long this is going to have to come with some loosening of the reins from the the roster build side so that we actually have quality players who can field, you know, an additional it's it's you know we're talking maybe two more games than would be in a regular playoff setting but it's two more games after a condensed season where we're taking a break for another competition it's just that's so much mileage, time, stress on, on those players' legs, and that's something, like, I, I think that's going to be something that physicians and, and team doctors are going to be really, really focusing on. I think it's also going to probably mean that your really good penalty stop or penalty uh, kick goalkeepers are going to be, be become massive assets. So that's, I don't know, there's a lot of weird little uh, ripples
3: that are coming off of this that are going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, in terms of congestion, I you have to think that teams, especially teams that make it out of the group stage of League's Cup, are going to be like all academy guys and all all second team guys moving up to play in, in the remainder of that competition. And probably you'll see teams take the U.S. Open Cup a little less seriously. But yeah, I mean, the reality is there are still 34 regular season games and they're going to be condensed. And then if a team is going to make a run to MLS Cup, it is it is a ton of soccer um, in terms of what the, the MLS Players Association feels about it. I think uh, their their negotiating position last time they made a CBA with the league, uh, they were they were not from a position of strength. And I think the league it, it has kind of probably once again taken advantage of them, saying, "Okay, we are going to see the the you know the the letter of the law as we've written it as to the maximum number of games we can force these guys to play, and we're going to figure out a way to get that <laughs> for as many of the teams as yeah. possible." And I think that that, that's probably what's going on there.
2: That really, really concerns me, especially considering I, I believe that that uh, contract or that, that bargaining agreement was passed the twenty twenty six World Cup. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe it I believe it was a 10 year term when they passed it. So um, in twenty twenty. I mean, so, yeah. That's just a I, I think you're exactly right. I think that they're or the the league folks are getting the absolute most out of it that they can, and I'm I'm hoping that there's some, you know Concessions made to make sure that the players are safe and healthy throughout this whole process. That's 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 my number one concern. But I, maybe I'm just been listening to too much like labor podcasting and stuff like that. So, no, so. <laughs> big labor podcaster. <laughs> we're,
0: we're we're a big union show here. Um, I I am interested, Tim, in your thoughts when when you throw together all these competitions, when you throw together all these games. Is there a kind of roster build that? you think would be more you know geared for a long run like how do you think teams should start to configure uh their their rosters as we move forward taking this into account and knowing that seasons might be 50 to 60 games now for some teams
3: yeah i mean the main thing to do is is to construct your roster such that you are not relying on the same one or two guys to find success um if somebody wants to tell nashville (laughs) i see that as well um, you you have to have different ways to succeed if you want to find success in multiple competitions. Um, obviously, like I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, for Leagues Cup, for U.S. Open Cup, teams that have strong academies or have strong second teams where they can pull up guys from MLS Next Pro, you're not allowed to do that in the regular season. You are allowed to do that in non-MLS competition, and that does include Leagues Cup. So that would be something that you could really get a lot of mileage out of those younger guys, especially Uh, If they're good enough to win those games, um, that might be a blessing and a curse because the more games you win in either of those competitions, the more games you continue to have to play in them. But I think teams that don't have kind of one or two guys that they're relying on, if they have a group of five or six guys that any two or three of them can step up and, and help them win a game in a given day. Um, because you're going to have to rotate through different kind of permutations of that group to find success in different situations, in different games, different amounts of rest over the course of the season. I think that's probably the best way to go about it. But, you know, with the salary cap league, the the roster constraints are what they are in a lot of ways, aside from being able to play, you know, non MLS rostered guys for for non MLS competitions.
2: That's a really, really interesting wrinkle that I had not really thought about. I had been reading about uh, some of the moves that uh, Charlotte had been making through their new uh, USL League 2 side. I'm not sure what league they're in specifically. Um, Crown Legacy. The Crown Legacy is signed... a,
3: a Next Pro team, yeah.
2: Next Pro, thank you. Um so I, the idea of being able to bring up somebody like uh, oh gosh I don't know remember his first name but Petkovic the kind of standout player for the Serbian national team in the friendly against the U.S. back in January I, it, it sounds like if you're an, or if I'm understanding you correctly that they could theoretically bring him up from that MLS Next Pro side to play in League's Cup which I think mm-hmm. then you're talking about really really interesting oh that's gonna be a very very interesting wrinkle. I wonder if we're going to start seeing some additional investment in this kind of way for some teams into their, you know, next pro sides or so on and so forth.
3: Yeah, I mean, well the the, you know, difficulty there is if a guy is good enough to contribute to your MLS team, he's probably not going to accept a contract to play for essentially a reserve <laughs> team and and just get a few games with the senior team. So there's a, there's a line that you have to walk in terms of finding the right type of talent that has kind of maybe the right attitude to be willing to have that sort of role. But it's definitely something that if, if, if teams can sign guys that have that sort of profile, or if they have guys from their academy who can um, you know contribute to the senior team, but you know it might make sense to have them as, as ringers for some of those competitions, maybe. It could make sense for, for some teams that have the, the, uh, the desire and the
0: creativity
3: to pull some of that stuff off.
0: For sure. And before I get you out of here, you've been generous with your time. Um, I am interested, you know, just ask the elephant in the room the Apple TV deal. It's basically, you know, completely rolled out now. We know all the different nooks and crannies. They've done the deals with T Mobile and things like that to get, you know, the promotion, the promotional side of it. How are you seeing this shape up? Do you like the direction that the league's going in? And I guess projecting onto this season, you think we're going to look back? Um, and say at the end of this year and say, this is a good move, we like the direction that this is going in, or do you think that that won't be the case?
3: Yeah, I think taking all editorial and technical in-house is a little bit of a risk, but I think it's one that when you have seen what some teams have put out in terms of the, the local product that was then syndicated to ESPN Plus, um, it's it's worth Maybe taking a risk to have to have one centralized hub do that when you saw some of the the lower end that some teams were doing. So I think from a production standpoint, it's going to be incredibly improved. Um the couple friendlies that have been on there have looked amazing. And I don't imagine that any game this season will look any worse than that. So that's gonna be really good. The distribution is is obviously a question mark. It's something that you're not going to have people flipping channels and just stumbling across an MLS game like you might have had. In local markets, especially, obviously, there are still a number of national TV games and um, presumably those will be heavy with the Apple TV MLS uh, app ads. But it is a situation where you are limiting your audience to try to deliver the best possible product to a more limited audience. And it's 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 a risk. It's I, I. can't guarantee any success or any lack of success. I do think it's it was the right thing to do. They've tried to go their traditional route with local, uh, regional sports networks with you know regional carriage, and it hasn't really led to the growth of the league with the pace that they want. There's there's risk in changing, but how much risk in terms of of who you're going to lose? Probably not that many people. So you might as well kind of swing for the fences. And I think it's not a secret to anybody that Apple kind of used this as a bit of a test run for some. Uh, I guess more prominent leagues that they hope to bid for the rights on in the future, so they have every incentive to to pour money into the technology side of it. And um, MLS was looking for a partner that wanted to be a partner and not just somebody who's going to throw games up on the network, like ESPN Plus has essentially been doing for the past few years. And Apple is is has money to throw around, and MLS. Wanted to kind of give them the, the laboratory to find success before they bid for whatever other rights they're going to bid for. I don't think it's a secret that they're probably going to try to go after NFL. They're going to expand going after Major League Baseball and they'll probably go after NBA soon, too. So that's something that if MLS can can benefit by the fact that Apple essentially wants to practice. I don't think they're you know embarrassed to say, hey, we'll we'll take advantage of that as long as you're going to pour in more resources than you would otherwise. We're here. Yeah, it seems like it was just a perfect, you know, match between a,
2: a company with all the resources in the world. And then, yeah, just like you're saying, I think that we, we talked about it a little bit last week, that it's just really, really nice for, as as fans of Major League Soccer, for that league to be a priority. And that's just something that I don't think that MLS has really ever had. So that's, it. it gives me a little bit of hope, but obviously with all those stipulations that you're talking about on the barrier to entry being significantly higher.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the risk. You, you accept the barrier to entry being higher because you are Apple's only priority so far because they want to use you to kind of perfect their craft for what they're planning to go for in the future.
0: Well, Tim, thank you so much for, you know, hopping on, sharing your thoughts on the two kind of league-wide hot button topics. We really appreciate it as always. Uh, thanks for sticking with us through the technical difficulties. And I'm sure Ah, uh, we'll talk again sometime about Nashville. Finally, we always say this: you, you if you want to plug where people can find more of you, uh, you can go ahead and do that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter or or the URL of the website are the same. It's at Club Country USA on Twitter and I think Instagram too. I very rarely use that, but uh, ClubCountryUSA.com is is the the main hub for all my stuff.
0: Thanks, Tim. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Yep. Thank Thanks you. so much, Tim. Yeah, we'll talk again soon for sure. Uh, but because we did just spend a good 20 minutes on the real focus over the last couple of days, which is this new playoff structure and the stipulations that we've ran through, you know, apologies if we you know missed something. It's kind of wordy the the new descriptions, but we tried to parse it all and give you some opinions. Now it's time to get back to the you know the ever approaching. MLS regular season and the previews that we have to do to talk about it all before opening day comes this coming Saturday. We're recording Wednesday, so it's really only three days away, and that's absolutely crazy to think about. Tim's Nashville SC will be, uh, you know, part of that opening game. Uh, the the earlier game, the the 4:30 game, they will host NYCFC. To kick off the MLS season, so this is just—I mean, this is what we live for—and it's all going to start in three days' time. We'll kick it off with the Western Conference previews. We finished the Eastern Conference last week, uh, and we started it on our first episode back of the season, so you can go and check those out. But right now, there's no better place to start than the champion of MLS, the winner of the Supporters Shield, the best team in the league. Los Angeles FC, LAFC. Matt, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on this team? You know, they've they've lost some players. They have certainly, you know, had that high of both titles. What do you think this team is going to look like when it takes the field in just a couple days' time?
2: You know that they're going to be quality throughout. Uh, That's this team is, in my opinion, not as good as the team that started last season, but. It's still a really, really solid team throughout. Um, you have one of the best midfield groups in Major League Soccer with the the assumption that you do not have Sifu for the entire season. I think Jose Cifuentes is incredibly likely to be sold. I think he's just such a good asset and such a good player that he's finally going to go ahead and get that call. Um so when I'm in the the marquee signing that they made this off season was picking up Aaron Long as free agent. Uh, that's a big, big intra league move, which they obviously found a ton of success with last year. I think that that's going to do them pretty well. Um, Long obviously has some very, very good attributes, and then has a propensity to get burned one on one, which. Almost every defender in Major League Soccer is largely the same in that, but uh, I think he can play into that system well. Uh, I think he's going to need to go ahead and actually pass, which is probably going to be something new coming from the Red Bull team, but I think that he has the ability to go ahead and do that. The big question for them is who's going to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, Having sold off Chicho Arango to, I believe, Pachuca, um, there's just some questions about who's going to play that final ball. But when you're getting delivery from Dennis Buonga, when you're getting delivery from Carlos Vela, Quadru Apoku is a absolutely sufficient finisher as far as I'm concerned. What are you thinking, Joey?
0: Yeah, I think the real question is how do their, their incoming players, their outgoing players, you know, what's that net change? Because we know that, you know, keeping Sifu, keeping some of those guys like P- Poku, uh signing Aaron Long are going to be wins, right? We we those are tangible things that we know we know what that's gonna be. They signed Tim Tillman, uh, you know, the the American German, you know, dual Nat. Uh, he was playing over in Germany for Grutherfirth in the Bundesliga two. He they were up in the Bundesliga last year. So we know that that can help in the midfield. Sergei Palencia, uh defender, they signed him, you know, but I think the the real questions are the players that you know transferred out. Chicho Arango is gone. You know, after all that speculation, he is not there anymore. So, that's the one for me. What what happens there? What is that drop off? We saw how much of a difference Chicho Arango made down the stretch. We saw. We talked about the finishing. You talked about Apoku's finishing being good. That that's for sure. But is a winger, Arango could play winger, he could play striker, I bet he could play goalkeeper because he was that dynamic, he was that good, that talented, um, and I'm not sure they're a player more crucial for that team last year. So that's what I'm looking at to see what's the difference going to be there, but, you know, besides that, you sign, you know, a really, really good eight right now in Tintoman on the MLS level at least, you kind of, you know fulfill that squad and you kind of you're you, you it at the edges what is this team going to be Andres I think the real question and my question is what is LAFC going to look like without Chicho Orango and obviously Gareth Bale I think we forgot to mention that but he is retired now um you know off to play golf and, and things of that nature so without those two pieces but really Chicho because he was the one who made the difference last year how do you see this LAFC team Andres
1: I think the the big thing with laFC is uh, what what we have right now is more than likely not what we'll have um, at the end of the season. So I do expect uh, more moves to come uh, maybe during the sim- during the summer transfer window. Um, I think none of us expected them to still have C Fuentes on their roster at this point. The fact that they haven't sold him, I think, helps the team, at least in the short term. Uh, same with uh, Chiqui Palacios. Uh, and, and yeah, I think it's a team that right now, it's it's lacking a little bit of, of depth, uh, considering all the outs that you guys mentioned. Uh, but they brought in an Aaron Long, uh, and this is a team that has uh, the spending power uh, and the cap flexibility to, to put that money to use. Uh, that I think at some point we'll see a a very different team. Just think about how how much it changed last year uh, during the season with first Chiellini and Bale, but then Dennis Wanga coming in. Uh, there was so much turnover during the season. I think we'll see a lot a lot of the same. I, I think for me the biggest uh, you know question mark isn't that will they bring somebody in? I think they will. It's what can Carlos Vela uh, bring them? Is he still capable of playing as that top-end DP uh, best player in the league that he was three or four years ago? Um, Or is that going to be a hindrance on them going forward where he's occupying a DP spot but can't really produce as one? That, for me, is the biggest question because I have no doubt they'll bring in more talent coming in. Yeah, I think that's a really,
2: really good point. Uh, This team is definitely, like, in that top-five range of most ambitious groups in, in the league, so... I think that we're not going to see them let a DP spot sit open for too terribly long. Um, the other thing I wanted to kind of note is that this is going to be the second year under Steve Terundolo. What do we, What are we going to go ahead and see from him as he starts to make that team more his own? The playing style was not too significantly different from what Bob Bradley did way back when in in the the earlier seasons of LAFC. So I'm hoping to see a little bit more progress from from him too and to see what they start to try and change around cuz they were incredible when they were sitting back and then letting those wingers take the ball forward on on the counter. It, they were devastating in that way. They also do have players who can control, but I think if they really really stick to one or two of or one of those methods I think they're going to be just about unplayable as long as they can stay healthy, which is always a question.
0: Yeah, that's always the question. I think signing Tillman is probably an attempt to maybe get that more control, the true eight, that kind of thing. But you know, when you have that front three running at you of Vela, Apoku, Poku, through the middle. And then I, Stipe book, I think is how you say his name, uh, signing winger announced at the end of the year, um, coming in from overseas. When you throw all that together, that's dangerous in and of itself. You know, You even though you lost, you know, those two players I talked about, that's still one of the best attacking fronts in the league, bar none. You have that midfield, Giolini's still there defensively, and then you also sign Palencia, like I talked about, uh, and he was at Saint-Etienne, loaned with Luganes, and then you have Jesus Murillo, Aaron Long, right? The the names go on and on, Crepeau and Nett. This is still as dangerous a team probably as last year. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to win both trophies. The fact that they did it, I think, should mean that fans have a certain expectation for this team moving forward. This isn't a team that's going to lose in the second round, the first round of playoffs. This is a team that is championship, you know, caliber and needs to show that again. Andres, before we move on, do you think that that expectation for LAFC is a help or a hindrance that now we know that they can do it? Now it's almost a... um you need to show up and you need to show that you are championship caliber because now we expect this from you
1: um, I, I'm not sure it changes that much, honestly it's like Matt said, this is the one, one, a, one or one a most ambitious groups since they came into the league. Um, I think we saw it right away I mean, supporter shield record-breaking 2019 season um, the way that they've gone about their business with you know these big transfers coming in from South America and trying to move them on and so on, bringing in guys like Gareth Bale and, and Giorgio Chiellini. I think this is going to be a club that, for the foreseeable future, the expectation will be that you should be in every competition to win. Leagues Cup, Open Cup, Champions League, Supporter Shield, MLS Cup, uh, they're looking to win, uh, you know, just about everything. And I think that's going to be something that uh, people are going to get accustomed to him inside the inside the club.
0: Yeah, certainly. There's that expectation now. Um, now they just have to, you know, show up and show what they're made of. Um, keep Sifu, and, you know, however long you can keep him, similar to the uh, Kai Wagner situation in Philly. You know, the longer that he stays, we talk about all these other names, uh, they're, you know, as scary a team as ever. Um, Matt, let's transition now. The uh, team that, you know, I think... Last year had us arguing, had us uncertain. Uh, the team that made it to the Western Conference Final, but came up short there. Austin FC. This is a team that was the second best team in the West, full stop. Last year, this is a team that you know returns their you know MVP quality players: Aruti, Driusi, who had a wonderful season last year, Fagundes, all all massive names. Emiliano Rigoni didn't get much of a run out last year, but he's in there now, as is Giassi Zardes and a number of pieces have filled in since we last talked for Austin FC. You had the first crack. What do you see in this team?
2: I think Austin is going to win the supporter shield. And that's, I, I just really, really like the roster. I really like them trying to kind of cut through some of the dead weight. Um, they went out, uh, so there's, they've been very, very active in the offseason, which is, Good to see. Um, I know Valencia went out on loan. I know that Jite went out, I think, on an, a full transfer, if I remember correctly. Um, and they brought in uh, Gabrielsson also went back to Norway. They brought in a Finnish international center back. I think that they're starting to fine tune a lot of the little things that are going to make them very, very successful. Uh, and then, yeah, they they went out and made Drew see one of the highest paid players in the leagues or in the league. As they should have, you if you find a way to keep him as the centerpiece in that that jewel, it is going to be something to look forward to. Um, I think this team is just going to be ridiculously good this season. And the biggest thing I think is that they solved their biggest issue. Their striker did not score goals. They found a distressed asset off of you know distressed asset FC uh, and picked up Giacchi Zardis. Josse has been able to put goals away pretty regularly. Um, i I think that with the service from Drsi and Fagundes, and I'm hoping that the you know Dan or David Goss theorem comes through for Rigoni, I think that this team is going to be really, really good. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, Andres, I'll just kind of. You know, throw it right onto you. You know, we talk about losing Gabrielsson, GT, big losses. Then you sign Leo Veikkonen. I don't know if that's how you say his name. Uh, transfer from overseas, uh, defensively, and Adam Lundqvist from Houston. So you, you lose some, you get some. What what do you what do you see in this team? This was your nemesis all last year. I, I doubt that you think that they're going to win Supporters Shield, like Matt.
1: Yeah, that's a big statement uh, from Matt there. Um, I've I've got some other guys, some other teams a little higher on my uh, supporter shield odds. But that said, I'm I'm actually higher on Austin at this point than I was at, at pretty much any point last year. Uh, I do agree with him that I think Jossie is going to help them in that striker role. Also, you know, under the radar, Will Bruin is a you know formidable. Uh, dependable uh, you know number nine that can help in late in games get in the box um, you know there's there's a little bit of worry there on the back line uh, with losing Gabrielsson. Gabrielsson was really good last year um, we'll see what this Weissenden, uh center half has uh, to offer in terms of a replacement still playing with Cascante as the second uh, center half um, you would assume Think Sophie and Jafal is a good addition also to the to shore up the the number eight, um, but yeah, I, I think this is a team that's definitely raised their floor. Uh, we talk about XG and out uh, outperforming regression and so on. I think they could be significantly better uh, this year, and yet still fall short on points from where they were last year. Uh, but I think it's a team that has the tools uh, and the horses to compete on multiple fronts because they're going to be in Champions League, uh, not to mention Leagues Cup and everything else. Uh, I think one of those things that you have to hope for if you're Austin is that you get something more out of Rigoni. Uh, Because if Rigoni starts producing um, and you've you've locked in Juicy, uh, that's going to give you some more dynamism up front um, and stability out of your DP players that can only really help. So I'm higher on them, but no, I don't have them winning supporter shield, but still, uh, I think it's an improved team from what was already pretty good last year.
0: <laughs> uh, not surprised by that in the slightest uh, <laughs> that you don't have the winning supporter shield. Yeah. I am interested to see what Vison does. does um, play for Elfsborg, uh in Sweden. I mean, he's a, fin- he's a finished player. He's, played basically every single game for Ellsberg in the Swedish first tier. So, I am interested to see what he can be um and then you return guys like Julio Cascante, uh, Kip Keller's back, second year in the league, MLS Super Draft pick last year. So, yeah, we'll see what they can be and obviously Brad Stuver is going to help as he always does, you know, save this team probably games um and, and win them games single-handedly. We know how good he is. So, yeah, a, a lot of different places to look for this team um I think the talent is there. I think the, the floor, like you said, is higher. I think the ceiling is just as high because, you know, we, we, we see that even though they added pieces, I think they're more stabilizing pieces. But if we look at last year as a baseline, you know, we're talking Western Conference finalists, second best team in the West. That's pretty good. Uh, we'll see what they can be next year. Um, we'll keep the train rolling, keep it in Texas. And Matt, I'll throw it to you with the first thoughts on FC. Dallas, a team that last year you know they they were fine. They they were fine. They did what we thought that they were going to do. They beat Minnesota United in penalties at home in the first round of the playoffs. Lost to F, uh, lost to Austin at Austin in the second round of the playoffs. Third best team in the West last year. You know, so I I think this is a team that has room to improve, also has room to regress. Where do you see them?
2: I I think that I really like a lot of the the moves that they've made in the offseason. Um I think the the biggest one to me is, is trying to get a little bit more out of the right-back position, getting in uh, Giovanni Jesus uh, coming up from Brazil. I think that he's coming in on a, a U22 deal, uh, which I believe is... It, there's been so much hit and miss, but I really, really like what I've heard about him. Um, there's a little bit of question regarding their center backs, but name a team in Major League Soccer, not name the Philadelphia Union, that can not say that. Uh, so I think that I like a lot of all of that. And then just a couple of days ago, they made a swap with Toronto FC, bringing in uh, Jimenez, Jesus Jimenez, and sending Brandon Cervagna up to Toronto, giving Toronto a lot more midfield coverage than they had had, in pre- or had previously. And then I think that the move to or bringing Jimenez in probably means that you're dropping Ferreira just a little bit deeper where you're allowing him to try and create a little bit more. And I think that that could bode well for him, truthfully. That gets him a little bit closer to Velasco and Ariola, And then I think that you're probably going to see Amical or Letjet drop a little bit closer to Quinone into more of a 4-2-3-1. I like a lot of the way that those pieces fit together. I think that this this team... Has, again, I, I think they lifted the floor. I don't know if they've really lifted the ceiling that significantly, though. I do. Uh, I know Jared in the Discord um, created, or uh, Joey created a forum based off of Jared's suggestion in Discord for uh, Newcomer of the Year and a few other things that highly recommend listeners to go take a look at. Um, and I have Giovanni Jesus as my Newcomer of the Year because I really think that that system can do a lot of good for fullbacks. I'm really excited to see what this Dallas team can bring. Uh, although I hope that they do horribly because I'm a Sporting
0: Kansas City fan, so that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Um, also, you know, I don't think you mentioned it, but as LAFC was shedding center backs because they decided that six or five or whatever it is might be a, a little too many, you can't necessarily field an entire starting eleven of center backs. Sebastian Ibiaga signed with uh, FC Dallas as a free agent over the off season as well. So that's something to throw in there. Um, Andres, I'll, you know, relay the Dallas discussion to you. We talk about a guy um, last year in Frank O'Hara, who they since moved on from, who was good, but, you know, didn't provide a lot in the way of scoring. And, you know, they try to have Jesus Ferreira play off of him at times. Do you think that Jesus Jimenez is able to, you know, be an upgrade on that? And do you think that they are poised for more success with Jimenez?
1: So I think it depends on whether Nico Estevez is willing to play with Jimenez and Ferreira together, like Matt mentioned, I think if they are, if they're willing to play with Jimenez as the as the more forward nine and Jesus a little bit, you know, further back, kind of as a second false nine or an advanced ten, that sort of system, um, then I think that that could really big a uh, be a big upgrade uh, because I don't think, you know, Jesus by himself up top is really ideal and and hara wasn't wasn't cutting it either um so i think i think what matt said is exactly right my my concern again like he said is also center back uh matt hedges is out for you know first time in like a decade that fc dallas doesn't have matt hedges uh you know and penned in to the starting 11 uh, but he's also in his 30s now so it was it was time to start thinking about succession planning there anyway. And Tafari has been pretty good. Ibiaga is more than a capable backup. Uh, and you still have Jose Martinez, um, who's a you know, pretty solid MLS starter. So I'm also liking this team. I think it, it fits well. Like, like Matt said, I think uh, we talked about it with John Arnold last year, how to get minutes for all these guys in the center of the pitch, right? So legit and Pomico, and Servania, and Cerillo, um, and Tomasi, uh, not Tomasi, uh, Siki and um, You alleviate a little bit of that by moving on uh, excess depth that you had and turning that into something that you maybe needed. So I think that was a, a solid uh, move by both teams. Um, but yeah, again, the question here is, one, center back, and two, uh, doesn't Ariola Velasco, Ferreira have the the punch to play with with the top teams and i think that's where the question is, is going to
2: be lasco is the one that i think is going to have a major step forward i think that he could be really really fun this year because he has just so much skill one-on-one uh i, I think he's going to be really interesting to watch so uh, can i i'm going to put the question to you guys um because you know where my head's at who finishes higher austin or fc dallas
0: I think it's gotta be Austin just based on what I've seen. I think they have a few more a few more players in the you know, the way of top end talent. I love Jesus Ferreira. Um I, I want to see what Alan Velasco can be. But when you get down in the midfield, again, I like Pomical. I like these players, but it doesn't pop for me like Drsi does, like Fagundes, right? We talk about those players who are just, you know, unbelievable. So I would give Austin the slight edge. I think both probably behind laFC in my mind currently. Andres, you know, do you want to answer Matt's question there?
1: So I think the order in which we've covered them is maybe it's boring because it's the order in which they finished last year, but it's also the order in which I'd have them right now coming into the season. I think uh, Austin's improved um, and so has Dallas, but I think Austin's still a little bit higher, Uh, but it's close. And they're both top five for me.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely both top five for me. And yeah, I was going to mention it, but we can move on because, Andres, you talked about, you know, having all those players in the midfield. When you ship out one in Cervania, that makes it just a little bit easier for those guys, for you to really, you know, hone in on a midfield rotation that you can be happy about. And, you know, they're still going at the 8. They're still going 4-D, Pomical, Legit, Surreal, and I, I heard somewhere, I forget where it was, that Sambalang had been um, a, a major performer in preseason. So I think that's part of that Servania move, too. And we know that Nico Estevez plays that four three three that the U.S. plays as well. Um, so w- when you have that four three three, you're really only utilizing two eights or maybe three. So you still have that that deep rotation. Also in the midfield would be uh, Facundo Cagnon. Though I wonder if he's going to be the holding. Uh, I don't know if to include him at the eight or not. But you know you have. You know, definitely four rates, and, and you know you can probably play Kenyon at an eight-two even if he's not playing the six. So, you, you, for Dallas, you have all that midfield depth. We'll see where they can be uh, at year's end. They were number three last year, only three points off Austin at the end of the uh, regular season standings in the West. We'll keep on moving. Uh, we've touched on two Texas teams. Now it's time that we can touch on two Los Angeles teams. The LA Galaxy finished fourth in the West last year, and. I think all eyes are on Ricky Pooj, the star man, the guy who you know, lit up MLS in the uh, few months that he had been in uh, after transferring over from Barcelona. I think now you, giving him a full season, it is really the Ricky Pooj show. Andres, I'll start with you. How excited are you to see Pooj, and what do you think he can bring in a full season, his first full season in the league, to the LA Galaxy?
1: Uh, I think he can bring a lot and I think he's going to need to bring a lot um they're they're definitely trending in the right direction in terms of roster construction uh I think Pooj is going to have to be a juicy honey mukhtar level chance creator uh or game changer in order for them to to maintain that top five type position um and I, I think Maybe even bigger question of Pooj is what's going to happen at that nine position. We talked about it uh, endlessly last year, uh, whether you were going to play with finally two strikers to fit both Dovalich uh, and Chicharrito on the field at the same time. Uh, Greg Vanny seemed very reluctant to do that. And, you know, Chicharito is now another year older. Uh where, what happens with that position? Are we going to see more of Jovalich by himself and Chicharito, Chicharito supporting? Are we going to finally see them together? You know, how that all kind of plays out, uh, which I think they never quite figured out last year, is going to go a long way into showing what, what happens with the Galaxy going forward.
2: Yeah, this is definitely the other team that I, I think about with the best midfield, full stop. Like it's it's these two LA teams that are just absolutely stacked through the midfield. Uh, kind of like Andre said, I, I really like the roster build, which they have to get right right now because they are not going to be able to bring players international or er, in from international uh, due to sanctions following the I believe Christian Pavone transfer in 2019. Uh, so there's you know we get a sprinkle of the the Inter Miami fun stuff. Uh, over for the galaxy too, um, the the question is going to be when Puj is dropping further back. Are either of the um, wingers going to actually provide service if they are going to stick into the the four two three one four three three whatever that looks like? I still I'm I'm exactly with you guys. I just would love to see Jovalich and Chicharito get to go up together. I think that that would be. Very, very fun. I think Jovlich will do the defensive work that Chicharito probably won't. Um, it's just, I, I think that there's a lot to like in this team. I just need to see it from their backline. And that's, this is, you know, if the wingers are a weakness, the backline is still bordering on emergency. Uh, I Chris Mavinga is, was good, uh, but... Am I bringing in a Toronto FC center back and feeling super confident about it? Not really, no. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see a full season of Martin Caceres, but I feel like Bond is going to have to have a really good season if they're going to be competitive throughout.
1: Yeah, for, for me, Matt, there's, there's still some issues um, to work out. And like I said, I think it's going in the right direction, but there's still areas. You know, Martin Caceres was good, but he's 35 right? So you wonder how long that's going to that's gonna last. Like you mentioned, Mavinga has not been very good for the last couple of years. I understand there was some personal issues going on, but he's also in his 30s. Um, you still have Douglas Costa there, has not been productive since he's been there. Uh, but you've brought in a Memo Rodriguez, who is uh, who knows the league. You've brought in a Tyler Boyd, who we've seen flashes of in the past. Um, so you hope you can get some more production out of out of the winger spot where you spent a lot of money, Kevin Cabral uh, and Douglas Costa, and having got in production. But there's still a few areas there which has me um, more doubtful on this team than on the first three that we talked about.
0: Yeah, and, and that goes along with the fact that, yeah, they weren't as good a team last year as either of those teams. Uh, the Galaxy were a team that were up and down and up and down. Austin and LAFC in particular have really, you know, stuck it out at the top of the table. Dallas had a bit of fluctuation too. But, you know, as we get into these couple, you know, last playoff teams uh, in the Western Conference, if you, you know haven't noticed, we, we're, we've just been going in order of last year's finish in the West and in the East last week. So you know the galaxy have been up and down at you know times they've been out of the playoff picture. I think that's kind of you know that that that's kind of representative in how we see them this year. Last word on the galaxy, you know, Matt had talked about it. Uh, We've been getting a request to talk about you know U.S. youth national players, uh, Jalen Neal, Marcus Fekrannis, pro- probably specifically Neal, uh, someone as a center back who could step in and play significant minutes for this team this year, depending on how that center back situation shakes out. Neal is really strong. I really love watching him play, and I would be super comfortable if I were a Galaxy fan to see him step in and take on a bigger role within the team. We can move on and talk about Minnesota United, uh, the number six finisher in the West. We're not going to talk about number five, Nashville, because they're in the East, and we talked about them last week. But, you know, if we're going to briefly touch on Minnesota here... I think for them, this is where it, gets, it starts to get a little bit cloudy. I'll throw it to you, Matt. Um, Minnesota, quickly, what do you see from this team?
2: I mean, it's impossible to, to really start with anything other than the fact that Reynoso is not with the team right now. Uh, he was recently had his pay suspended by the league for, for not reporting to spring training. If they don't have Emmanuel Reynoso, this is probably bottom of the West for me.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
2: Like it, because he is so significantly higher usage than any other 10 in the league. Uh, I believe that it's something to the effect of like 60% of touches in the opponent's half or something to that. I I, I have to find the statistics specifically. Reynoso is this team and if they don't have him, that's going to be really, really concerning. Um, so that's that's the the negative lead. The positive lead for for Mi- uh, Minnesota is that they went out and got a replacement for uh, Bakayi DiBasi, who when he got injured, that's really where their entire form started to dip off. So bringing in Tapia's, that's going to help. Hopefully, uh, I believe he's coming in from the Clausura um, Champions out of uh, Mexico. So obviously, good pedigree there. And then you're also going to get a uh, Hassani Dotson back pretty quickly. That's going to be a good depth piece in their midfield. So really, really hoping that he can provide at that same level. He's obviously, yeah, from Pachuca. Thank you, Andres. Um, there's there's some pieces to like. I still really like Arriaga as well. But I at this point, this is question mark FC. Like, I just, I do not know how to talk about this team without having some Clarity on on the Reynoso situation.
0: Yeah, thank you for um, mentioning that Reynoso situation. I completely neglected to mention when I was talking about them, because that really is the situation, right? You have Reynoso, like I was talking about, and I could see them back in the playoffs. You don't have Reynoso without doubt in my mind. This isn't a playoff team. Uh, We know that Reynoso is dealing with personal matters that that's in the quotations in Argentina stemming from, I believe, a domestic violence incident down there has been suspended by the league um, and hasn't showed up uh, this this offseason. Obviously, we are on the side of those who do not commit crimes uh, and we are we do support women on this podcast. So we want justice to be served. And for me, Emmanuel Reynoso should not play another game before that matter is dealt with, even if uh, it turns out that he is an innocent man. Um, I think when you step back, you take a look outside of him on this team. That's where, you know, I'm glad that Hassani Dotson's back. I'm glad that they, you know, they continue to have some of those guys like Fragapane and Lode who can carry, you know, the load when it comes to this, uh, you know, unintentional there, can uh, carry the load when uh, it comes to attacking. But, again, without the high usage 10, without one of the best players in the league for a couple years now, um, this team just isn't the same. Andres, you the last word on Minnesota United, and then we will switch gears and quickly touch on our preseason predictions because it's the last pod before the start of the MLS season. Before that, Andres, your thoughts on Minnesota United?
1: I think you guys already hit it. I, I'm not sure there's much to add. Uh... Reynoso's out if Reynoso's out uh this is a team fighting for you know one of the bottom spots of the West I think uh if Reynoso's in uh then that's a team that's looking at you know right around where they were last year um the the big signings are really just players you know hoping to come back Debossi Dotson like you mentioned there's some good pieces there uh as you mentioned Lord and and Fragapane um Ariaga Etc, etc. But, you know, every nose is not there. One, they're going to struggle now and they're going to struggle to bring in another player of that quality, right? Because they had to kind of overpay to get him to come to Minnesota. So it's a, unfortunately, a, a team that started off with a kind of a rough run first couple seasons of MLS then had, you know, a nice, nice uptrend. Uh, we're looking at a maybe rough season for Minnesota here com- going forward.
0: Yeah, we we shall see what they uh, will be this year. And again, like we said, not to sound like a broken record, it just depends on that Reynoso situation. Um, we hope that is, you know, n- nothing. There was no wrongdoing, though it seems at this point with the league having suspended him. That that's wishful thinking. We shall see what Minnesota United is as we progress in the season. So, a b- a quick programming note. Uh, Matt and Andres, you know, assuming all goes well tomorrow, we'll record an episode to just completely wipe out the rest of the West, wipe out the rest of our previews and a nice little two episode week. Uh, I'll be off as I, you know, do things in life. But uh, Matt and Andres will pick up the low and I really appreciate them for doing that. And as they'll finish out the West and get ready for the season, but now since we will all be together for the final time before the season kicks off this Saturday at 4:30 Eastern Time, let's do some predictions, shall we? Andres, I'll start with you. Your supporter shield winner for the year 2023.
1: Philadelphia Union. I think uh, they're the most stable team at this point. Um, other teams may may peak later on, bringing in players, but. From the get-go, from the start, from the jump, I think they're going to they're gonna jump out to a pretty big lead here. Um, and they've shown that they
0: can they can put together a whole season. And Matt, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you picked the Union, but I think you previewed earlier on the pod, you're going in another direction.
2: Yep, I'm taking Austin FC. The reason being, Philadelphia has to play all those other teams in the East who are really dang good. And I just, I think that there's a lot of matches that could become draws that Austin is going to get to kind of beat up on some, some tomato cans. So it's, I just like the the fit for Austin a little bit better. Um, the big concern there would be who is going to, you know, step up while they're playing in so many competitions. I just like the, the roster build as it is right now. I think Josh Wolf is going to be making a big step forward.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Uh, I'm a Union fan, so I don't know if it... Do I think the Union have a very good shot at both competitions? Absolutely. Do I think that they are the team? Maybe. I also feel a little weird about picking them. So if I'm going to pick outside the Philadelphia Union just for the integrity of the pod, I actually... I I think I will go with the West team for the Shield. Though I think it's going to be LAFC just because I think what we saw at the end of last year when they get clicking... Man, you know uh, that that could be something special. Uh, and Andres, I'll throw it back to you. The big one, the one everyone cares about, MLS Cup. Who you got?
1: Uh, yeah. So this is tough for me. I, I don't want to say LAFC. I think that's that's a bit obvious. Although I, I could definitely see them picking. I'm tempted to say a couple of random, you know, names that are with of teams that are currently not built for MLS Cup. Have ambition to build teams, uh, Atlanta or NYC. But I think, I think it's gonna come a little quick in the in the in the cycle for those teams. So I'm gonna go slightly on the limb, although historically it's not so much, and say Seattle Sounders. Um, it's a team that doesn't have Champions League this year, like they had last year, uh, so they can more fully focus on MLS. Uh, it's a team that's still built with the right pieces from from the team that was so good for the last five years. Uh, if you get Joe Paolo back and he's healthy, uh, they still have all the horses in terms of Rui Diaz and Lodero. Before that window closes, I'm going to say that the Sounders come back from missing the playoffs and go all the way. I really like that pick. I think
2: that Seattle could take a, a big step forward, uh, but that'll be that'll be for Andres and I's uh, conversation tomorrow. Um, I really, really like picking the team that, that lost MLS Cup the year beforehand. I'm taking Philadelphia Union. I think that they just have made so many good depth pieces, or depth moves, rather. I think they are really starting to get things figured out, and no team has really found a way to break down that back line that has just been solid throughout D- the the cliche is defense win championships. I, I I like Philadelphia to go ahead and go through.
0: I appreciate that, Matt. Lastly, with me, again, a uh, biased, so I'm not going to touch the union outside the union. I will stick in the east, though. And go with FC Cincinnati. I think this is a team that we saw took the Union to the brink last year. That they are incredible uh when it comes to their those two attacking pieces in Acosta and Vasquez, and that they are scrappy everywhere else in the pitch. Obina and Wobodo, we know how good he is. Just the entire team. It just it, it seems so structurally sound that and we know that they have Amazing, you know, coaching staff, GM, and Noonan and Albright. Super excited to see what they can be. And uh, we, let's hit a couple personal awards quickly before we head out. Um, MVP, Golden Boot, you know, don't really need an explanation. Just let's get these down before the start of the season. Andres, one more time, who you got? MVP and Golden Boot. So MVP, I think I'm going to go with Ricky Pooch.
1: Um, I think the assist numbers are going to be through the roof here. Uh, circle back. Let me think about Golden Boot while you guys do your MVPs.
0: Okay, Matt, uh, you can do your MVP, and if you got your Golden Boot, feel free to toss that in.
1: Yep,
2: I've got both. Uh, for MVP, I'm taking Sebastian Drusi. I think he's going to be setting up Jossie a ton. I think he's going to be scoring a ton. Um, obviously, there's the big question of if he can, you know, uh, make the difference between goals and expected goals a little bit smaller. Hopefully he does it in a good way. Um, but I think Drews, he's the guy. And then for Golden Boot, Cusho Hernandez has a full year. I think he could be legit, legit. Uh, I like Wilfred Nancy coming into Columbus. I think that's, those, are my, those are my picks.
0: That's very fair. Uh, and, you know, like we said, fill out that form uh, on the – On the MLS bench discord if you haven't already and I will share who I think um I put on the golden boot I didn't put the MVP on that I don't believe but I put the golden boot and for me Brandon Vasquez I think put him a full year with Acosta with that understanding you know after last season was kind of the feel it out year and they felt it out pretty well um I I think Vasquez for golden boot for MVP I think this is a little more difficult but I won't go with my union roots. I will go with uh, Daniel Gosdog. We saw what he can be last year. I think give him a full year with all with Aura as well, all those pieces. Man, he will be cooking in Philadelphia, no doubt. Andres, come back to you. The very last uh, you know, piece of information we need on this pod. Who is your Golden Boot pick for the year 2023?
1: Hey, you mentioned you mentioned MVP being the more difficult one, and I and I'm struggling uh, to, to come up with a with a clear number nine who's going to score a ton of goals. So that being said, I'm going go back to go back-to-back here and have Hani Mukhtar come back uh, as MVP. I still think he's going to come back a little bit from where he was last year, uh, but he's expected to do so much on that team uh, that you know the assist numbers might be tough to come by, but he's going to have to score uh, a large percentage. So... Uh, Nashville, I think, might regress a little bit, including Hani, but he'll still have more goals than everybody else. How's that?
0: Sounds good. Hani Mutar for Golden Boot, says Andres. Uh, and that's going to do it for this episode. Though Andres, I think we'll hear from you tomorrow as you and Matt finish up previews in the West. Thank you very much for doing that in my absence. And listeners, stay tuned, because we'll be back in your ears very soon. But if you stuck to this point, thank you so, so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Go support us all the ways that you can, and it means truly the world to us. Also, thank you to Tim Sullivan uh, of Club and Country for checking on um, for this episode. But until next time, which will be very soon, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game. MLS is just a handful of days from being back, and boy, it feels so, so nice.